I have a confession to make. I don't like going to see the doctor. Don't get me wrong, my doctor is a genuinely nice guy who really seems to know his stuff. It's not personal. I just don't seek doctors out. If something hurts, I just push past it. If something hurts a lot, I take a couple of Advil. Now, if something hurts a lot, and for a really long time, okay, maybe in that case, I pick up the phone, and I call a friend, and I ask them, do you ever have this happen? What did you do? I don't like going to see the doctor. But some years ago, shortly after my fourth son was born, my family got the flu. Our newborn, thankfully, didn't get it, but his brothers and my wife and I, we could do, there, there, there they are, the little guy didn't get sick, everybody else was. <laughs> my, the, the rest of us could do practically nothing but lie on the floor, the living room floor, for two days, occasionally popping Cheerios in our mouths and crawling to the bathroom. It was miserable, guys. I have never felt so weak in my life. And I thanked God many times over those couple days for Sesame Street because Elmo was basically our babysitter during that 48-hour period. But you know what? Once it became clear that Advil wasn't going to fix this, I called my doctor. And had he suggested it, I'd have found a way somehow to pack my entire family into the car, probably crawling our way there, and I'd have gotten us to the hospital. Yes, the same guy who will endure pain after pain after pain after pain to avoid a doctor, that same guy would have done whatever the doctor had asked. And I'd have brought all the people I love most with me. Here's what I learned from that experience, friends. Your response to your doctor demonstrates just how sick you think you are. And in our short passage this morning, we will see a very similar principle. Because your response to Jesus demonstrates how sick and how sinful you think you are. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 5. It's page 20 in your packets. We're going to look at verses 27 through 32. Here's what it says. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. 
And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Friends, your response to Jesus demonstrates how sick and how sinful you think you are. And my aim is to show you that, that, that truth here in two points, which you can see on your outline. So we'll first consider the response of the sick in verses 27 through 29, and then we'll consider the response of the healthy in verses 30 through 32. So first, the response of the sick. Verse 27 begins with the words, after this. And so let's do a quick recap. What is the the this? What happened before this, which we have been hearing about this weekend? So on Friday night, Mark walked us through Simon's incredible encounter with Jesus, and we saw that Jesus is not only worth the interest of the uninterested, but he is worth their very lives. On Saturday morning, Dave showed us the leper's encounter with Jesus, and we learned that the people who are most lost are also the people who are most loved. And then last night, Clint showed us, through the account of the paralytic and through a horse that needed help, that the help we need is found in Jesus. And that text, Clint's text, concluded with verse 26, which says, And amazement seized them all, And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Indeed, they had. And it's from that event, with everyone amazed and filled with awe, that our text this morning tells us that Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in his tax booth. That's a little anticlimactic, isn't it? Hmm. We go from amazement and awe to tax collecting. A tax collector at his desk job. Okay. All right, Luke, what are you doing? Well, hold tight because there are extraordinary things happening for us to discover here in this text as well. So let's start by asking ourselves, why are those details about Levi included here? Why does it matter that Levi is a tax collector. Well, for starters, Levi is probably not particularly well-liked because no one in history has ever been celebrated for collecting taxes, right? Man, I love when people lawfully take my money. Let's hang out, bro. (laughs) But see, in, in Levi's context in ancient Israel, there's even more to it than that. In Levi's culture, tax collectors were absolutely despised. Not just because they were collecting taxes, that didn't help, but not just because of that, but because they worked for the Roman government. They worked for the bad guys. 
for the occupying force, for the enemies of God's people who were oppressing them. We have words for people like that. Words like sellout. Words like traitor. And as if that weren't bad enough, tax collectors were also known for collecting those taxes dishonestly. Listen, how would you feel if you got a bill saying you owed $100 in taxes? Probably not great about that to start. But you're, you, you came to your tax collector, because they didn't have the postal service back then, and you came to your tax collector at his tax booth, and he was like, oh, $100. Oh, I'm sorry, that was a mistake. It's actually 175 Yeah, I'm sorry, friend. So it's, it's 175 and, and then you would watch as he would take that 175 fold up that 75 bucks, and slip it right into his pocket. We even see that evidence right here in our text. Look at verse 29. It says that Levi made Jesus a great feast in his house. And apparently that great feast was held in a house that was big enough to hold a large company of tax collectors and others. How did Levi pay for all that food and lodging and furnishing in his house? Taxes. Your taxes. So you can kind of see why tax collectors were so hated. They're traitors, they're liars, and they're thieves. And all of that, friends, lead us, leads us to the conclusion that tax collectors are very sinful people. And here's the thing. Levi knows that. He knows that he is a sinful person because Levi is a Jew. From childhood, he would have been taught all of the, the good and righteous laws of his God, laws like do not steal, for example. So Levi knew what righteousness was and what righteousness means. Righteousness was about being right with God. You're morally right. You're justified. You're good with God, and God is good with you. That's righteousness, and Levi knew that he was not righteous. And he, he and everybody around him all knew that plainly and clearly. And so here we find him, Levi, the unrighteous tax collector, sitting in his tax booth. And see, the thing about a tax booth is that it's got to be built well enough to keep out would-be thieves. Like, it's not a tax tent, right? Like, that wouldn't work. You're, you're collecting all this money, you turn around, and there's like a guy with his hand under the tent, just yoink. You know, like, you can't have that. But it's still a booth. It's a booth. It's not an office. It's not glamorous. It's not something to be proud of. It's simply a big wooden box framing an unrighteous man. That little structure may be strong enough to protect Rome's tax revenue, but it is, without question, pathetically inadequate at keeping out the soul-crushing feelings of guilt and shame and unrighteousness that Levi surely would have felt every single day. 
Perhaps some of you here can relate to Levi. As you look back over the past years, or perhaps even the past weeks since arriving on campus, you've made decisions that you know are wrong, that you know are immoral, that you know are unrighteous. You and God, you're not really good right now. You're not in good terms. Maybe it involved lying to your friends or to your family but about what you were actually doing that night. Maybe it involved taking credit for something when it was actually chat GPT that did all the heavy lifting there. Maybe it involved treating someone else's body as though it were yours to use. Whatever it was, it probably seemed like a good idea at the time, but your conscience, your friends, maybe even God himself, has been convicting you that that wasn't actually a good idea. It was unrighteousness. It was sin. And maybe you have your own equivalent of a tax booth, too. Is there something you've been hiding behind that you thought would make you feel secure, accomplished, maybe even righteous? Maybe your tax booth is getting straight A's, even if you're failing morally. Maybe it's being everyone's best friend, even though you know that if they really knew who you were on the inside, they'd all leave. Maybe it's playing sports, or music, or games, or all of them. Whatever it takes to stay busy enough so that you never have to look inside and see what's there at all. If any of that sounds like you, friends, then you have a pretty good understanding of what life is like for Levi. An unrighteous man sitting in his unrighteous tax booth. But, as this unrighteous man is sitting there in his unrighteous tax booth, that's when our text tells us that Jesus sees him and he says, follow me. Jesus didn't say, ew. He didn't, he didn't get up on a box and say, repent, vile tax collector. He could have. He, di he didn't, perhaps worst of all, Jesus didn't walk by and just pretend like Levi wasn't there. Probably like a lot of people hoped he wasn't. No. Jesus says to this profoundly unrighteous man, follow me. What do you think went through Levi's heart and mind when Jesus said that? Shock? Fear? Wonder? Awe? Shame? Guilt? Probably all of the above and, and much more. We, we don't actually know because the text doesn't tell us. In fact, I don't know if you noticed this, Levi never says a word 
in this entire account. But his actions, they speak loudly, don't they? Verse 28 tells us that Levi left everything. Friends, few of us can possibly grasp what it would have meant for Levi to leave everything. He left behind his job as a tax collector. He left behind his income as a tax collector. He left behind all of his plans and all of his security. Because not only would he no longer be able to afford that big house or his luxurious lifestyle or whatever other protections that Rome might have offered him because of his job and people really hating him, but he, it's not like he could like take what he's, what he's accomplished on his resume and go elsewhere to get another job. Like, Levi couldn't just put out those resumes and see what happens. Like, well, let's see, my skills include theft, deception, and resigning without notice when itinerant religious teachers get my attention. <laughs> There's no free market on serving oppressive government regimes, okay? Like, that's, that's not an option for him. And guys, Levi couldn't go back to his former life, whatever that might have been, because he'd already made enemies of all of his own people. Lying traitors don't exactly get the red carpet treatment. No self-respecting Jew would take him in. Because Levi had brought shame on his family, his community, and even his very religion. So Levi had nowhere else to go but that tax booth. So friends, the moment that Levi, Levi walked out of that tax booth and followed Jesus, he burned every bridge. There was no going back. Levi was banking everything about his life and his money and his relationships and his future. All of it was on one single person, and that person was Jesus Christ. And this weekend, friends, this very morning, Jesus is inviting you to leave everything and follow him. He already knows your unrighteousness. He knows it better than you do. But he knew Levi's as well, and he invited him anyway. So he's not looking at you and saying, ew. He's not looking at you and yelling at you with judgment or condemnation. Jesus Christ has not come to shame you for being sick. Jesus Christ has come to make you well and to free you from your shame forever. This morning, friend, will you hear that call and leave everything and follow him? Will you, like Levi, walk out of whatever tax booth you're hiding in, leave everything, and follow him? Now, Levi counted the cost. And as a tax collector, you can imagine he was really good at counting the cost of things. But you guys may or may not be natural math whizzes yourself, but we all know what shame costs us. We, we know it well. Friends, leave it behind and follow Jesus. 
Now, that probably feels scary. You can bet it felt scary to Levi. He was probably terrified. But you know what else? He was also delighted. And Jesus tells us why in verse 31. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Levi knew he was sick. He knew that he was spiritually sick. Levi was lying on the living room floor, popping Cheerios kind of sick in his very soul. So now, Jesus Christ, the great physician, had come, and he'd said to Levi, follow me. Guys, I don't know how much Levi understood about Jesus in that moment. Perhaps Levi had heard or even seen the extraordinary things that Jesus had been saying and doing. Perhaps Levi had personally heard those incredible words of Jesus from last, last night's text that you may know that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Maybe he heard those words and it blew his mind. Like, who is this guy? Can he be the one that he claims to be? Could he be the promised Messiah, the Christ, the long-awaited Savior of the world? Can this man, who claims to be God, Truly forgive sins, even my sins. Will Jesus truly welcome even the unrighteous? Maybe Levi didn't have all the answers to all of his questions. My guess is you don't either, nor do I. But for Levi, friends, it was enough it was enough. And so regardless of how much fear Levi, Levi may have felt in leaving it all behind, he was delighted to do so. And so verse 29 tells us that Levi puts on a great feast. And the text says it's a large company of tax collectors and others. Okay, so that included Jesus and his disciples, and apparently some Pharisees and scribes show up. We'll talk about them in a minute. But the point here is that Levi throws a huge party. Why? Because Levi, in his delight to follow Jesus, wanted everyone he knew to follow Jesus too. As I entered my sophomore year of college, I was an antagonistic, argumentative atheist. But in the middle of that year, I left everything and followed Jesus. And when I did, one of the very first things I did afterwards was to invite all of my friends and everyone on my hall to come to a Bible study. And then I invited my disciple maker staff worker because I had no idea how to lead a Bible study. <laughs> That's okay. All I knew all I understood was that I'd finally found what I'd been looking for all my life, and I wanted everyone I knew to find it too. I wanted everyone that I knew to follow Jesus. I think that's what Levi is doing here. He wants everyone he knows to follow Jesus. Now, I have to admit, I don't know for sure 
why Levi threw this party. Because again, the text, like in the text here, Levi never actually says a word. So we don't totally know what's going through his mind here. But, but later on, did you guys know? Levi gets a nickname. He does. He gets a nickname. Jesus and his disciples call Levi Gift of God. That's his nickname. Translated into English, that name is Matthew. And so, while Matthew never says a word here in this text, he does end up writing an entire book, which you can read for yourself right at the beginning of your New Testament in your Bibles. And so I suppose it's not surprising that Levi's book ends with Jesus saying, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. In other words, go invite everyone to follow Jesus. Friends, whether you've been following Jesus for 15 years or 15 minutes, if you've left everything behind and are following Jesus, let me encourage you to follow in Levi's footsteps here and make a guest list. Make one right there in your outline. Are you in a frat? You've got brothers. Are you an athlete? You've got teammates. Are you a nerd? You've got D&D &D or something, I guess. I, <laughs> I lived in a dorm, so I just invited everyone on my hall. Guys, make a guest list. Number it one through three or one through five, whatever. Then just fill in a few names of people that you want to follow Jesus to. And if a name just popped in your mind and you're like, well, I don't know if they'd be interested, that's probably the right person to put down. <laughs> and then here's my challenge to you guys. If you will take what you're hearing this weekend about Jesus seriously, here is my challenge to you. When you get back to campus this very afternoon, invite those people to come and meet Jesus this week. You don't need Levi's house or a huge feast. A dorm room or an apartment will work just fine and order a pizza if you really want to. Then open up your Bible, maybe even to Luke 5, and just talk about it together for 30 or 40 minutes. If you'd like, invite a wise friend to join you, perhaps an older student in the fellowship or your disciple maker staff worker or your pastor. That's what I did. That's what Levi did. Now, I get it if perhaps that sounds a bit scary. But if you've truly given up everything to follow Jesus, what do you have to lose? Now, will everyone that you invite show up? Probably not. But these people did. I did. You did. Remember, 
your response to Jesus demonstrates how sick and how sinful you think you are. You and I came, friends, because we knew we were sick. Others will do the same. But not everyone believes themselves to be sick, and so not everyone comes. And that's what we see in the second point on your outline, the response of the healthy. Let's start by reading verse 30 once more. So you can flip over to your scripture side, your packet there. Let's look at verse 30 once more. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, so who are these Pharisees and scribes? And why are they so upset about this party? The Pharisees were an influential uh, religious sect within Judaism at this time. Their, their name, Pharisee, means separated or holy. And they took the law of Moses, what we'd call the Old Testament, extremely seriously, going to great lengths to, to follow all 600 plus commandments they find there. And on top of that, they adhered to the oral teaching of many well-respected rabbis. So in terms of people who, who passionately pursued righteousness and who sought to be spiritually healthy, the Pharisees are the cream of the crop. Now, if you grew up going to Sunday school and hearing Bible stories, you probably have right now this predisposition to assume that the Pharisees are the bad guys. And you assume that because, yes, Jesus has many arguments with the Pharisees. And so if Jesus is the good guy in your Bible stories, the Pharisees are the bad guys, right? But 2,000 years ago, when these events were taking place, the Pharisees weren't considered to be the bad guys. They were the good guys. They were the spiritual giants. They were the ones who stood against the corruption and the compromise of the Romans. And so, you know, they, they stood against guys like Levi who had sold their souls in order to make a buck, and they're saying, don't do that. All right. Oh, and the Pharisees memorized the Scriptures and studied the Scriptures and worked hard to obey the Scriptures. That's good. In fact, that's probably why we, we see the scribes, the scribes, or some is called their scribes, following them around so much. Because scribes are people who diligently copied and taught the scriptures and otherwise teachings. And so you would imagine they and the Pharisees got along quite well. Lots of wisdom. Oh, I'm going to write that down. And so that's, that's this group of people. Now, all that's to say that you and I would likely have considered the Pharisees and their scribes to be spiritually healthy people. That's what we would have learned about in ancient Israelite Sunday schools. So when we first encountered the Pharisees for the first time in Luke's gospel, they show up last night in Clint's passage. And they heard what sounded like blasphemy on Jesus' part, and they called it out. Right? And the original audience wouldn't have been like, shut up, Pharisees, that's Jesus. He's the good guy, so you guys shut up. Like, that wouldn't have been 
their response. Rather, the original audience would have said, wow, yeah, that's a really good point. I'm glad someone's saying something about this guy, Jesus, who claims to forgive sins and only God can do that. Thank you, Pharisees, for guarding our hearts and souls. That, that's more likely the type of thing that might have entered someone's minds. And so now, here in our text this morning, we once again see the Pharisees grumbling about what appears to be sinful activity on Jesus' part. So again, the original audience would have said, wow, yeah, good, good questions. Like, why are Jesus and his disciples eating with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, but listen, your, your Sunday school teachers weren't crazy. <laughs> because even though the Pharisees know their Bibles really well, they also get some of the most important things wrong. And we see here a key example in that the Pharisees think that Jesus is the one who is sick. See, 2,000 years ago, no one understood anything about viruses and bacteria and stuff like that. But, but people back then, they weren't dumb. They knew full well that if someone was sick and you spent time around that sick person, what would happen? You'd get sick. They could see that. Everybody knew that. And so the Pharisees are grumbling here because they thought of sin, which rightly is basically spiritual sickness in the same way. And so just as one would say, don't spend time with sick people because you'll catch the sickness, the, the Pharisee said, and don't spend time with sinners because you'll catch the sin. You don't want that, do you? Like, you don't, like, do you want to go to the doctor? I don't. Do you want to offer temple sacrifices to atone for your sins again and again and again? Do you want to dishonor God and incur his righteous wrath? Of course not. And so if you want to remain healthy, you should avoid sin just like you avoid sickness. If you want to remain healthy, you should avoid sinners just like you avoid sick people. That was their argument. So let me ask you guys, with all of our modern medicine and our New Testaments and 2,000 years of experience in bacteriology, there's surely a word for that, uh, but like, what do you think of their argument? Like, are the Pharisees right or are they wrong? Well, let's see. Should you avoid sinning? Okay, thank you. Good. I'm making sure you guys are still... We'd have to back up a little bit there if we didn't get that one right. Yes, the Bible is very clear on that. Does God's righteous wrath burn against sin? Yes. Yes. The Bible is very clear on that too. So, should spiritually healthy people avoid spiritually unhealthy people? Okay. For the recording in the future, they all said no. Okay. Um, well, because listen, because if the answer is yes, then there is a big problem with Jesus and his disciples, right? Like, hence the grumbling. 
Why would you eat with sinners? If the answer is yes, you shouldn't be doing that. But if the answer is no, why is it no? If, if spiritually healthy people spend time around spiritually unhealthy people, how can they avoid getting spiritually sick? Do you see the problem with that logic, guys? The problem with that logic, friends, is that they're not spiritually healthy to begin with. Contrary to their core assumptions, the Pharisees are not spiritually healthy. They're sinners too. So they're already sick. And if you're already sick, avoiding sickness doesn't help you. See, the Pharisees believed that by following all the rules and being really, really good, they can keep themselves from getting spiritual head colds and so be pleasing to God. But the problem is that every single one of them and every single one of us has spiritual stage four cancer. And it's very aggressive. It's, it's in our, our every organ and bone and cell. And friends, there's no easy way to say this. Our condition, every one of us, is terminal. So yes, maybe, maybe you can avoid getting sick by avoiding sick people. But if your body is already ridden with an incurable disease, what good is it to avoid a head cold? What the Pharisees didn't understand, friends, is that we don't become sinners because we sin. No, we sin because we're sinners. That's what sinners do. They sin. And that means that all of us are spiritually sick no matter how good you think you are. No exceptions. Serial murderers and seminary professors. Rebels and rule keepers. Tax collectors and Pharisees. Me and you and every single person in this room. So the question for you this morning, friend, is not whether you've got spiritual cancer. The question for you this morning is not whether you are a sinner. The question is only whether you are aware of it or not. And so just as there are surely tax collectors here, this morning, surely there are some Pharisees here among us as well. And if that's you, here's how you can tell. Right now, you're grumbling, just like the Pharisees did, at Jesus' disciples. Right now, you think we are fools. Like, who's this guy standing up front talking about spiritual cancer? Ridiculous. What is that? I'm not spiritually sick. I'm perfectly healthy. Clean bill of health. I know, because I'm a doctor. And all my friends, they're doctors too. And we are all assuring each other that we're all perfectly healthy. <coughs> Listen, if that's what's going through your head right now, please understand. I get it. 
I said those very same things when I was sitting in your seats at age 19, listening to my Christian friends talking about sin and salvation and Jesus. And man, did I ever grumble about that. I was convinced that I was totally healthy and I didn't need a doctor. Despite all the evidence to the contrary, I knew I was healthy. Despite all the warnings of my Christian friends, I knew I was healthy. Despite all my confused thinking and my broken heart and my tear-soaked pillow, I knew I was healthy. And healthy people don't need doctors. The thing is, friends, Jesus agrees. Verse 31. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So my reasoning back then was not incorrect, but it was incomplete. Because yeah, healthy people don't need doctors. But despite what I thought I knew, I wasn't healthy. The nature of sin, friends, is that it blinds you to what is altogether obvious to everyone else. Like the alcoholic who knows they don't have a problem. Like your friend in that really terrible relationship who knows that the other person can change. Or like the 19-year-old atheist who knows there is no God. So is the Pharisee who knows they're not a sinner. Do you see, this text isn't contrasting the spiritually sick Levi and the spiritually healthy Pharisee. This text is contrasting the spiritually sick man who knows it with the spiritually sick Pharisees who don't. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and put quotation marks around the word healthy in that second point. Because the Pharisees aren't really healthy. They just think they are. And their response to Jesus demonstrates how sick and how sinful they think they are. And in the same way, friends, this room is not full of spiritually healthy people. No. This is Levi's banquet hall. And it's full of sinners, of desperately sick, stage four, spiritually dying sinners. And the only question is, do you know that? But if you will accept that terrible diagnosis, there is wonderfully good news for you, friend. Jesus has not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That means that Jesus has come to call you. And he is inviting you to leave everything, everything that you have been clinging to for life and satisfaction and joy. Leave it all behind, friend. Leave your tax booth behind. Because every one of us 
has our tax booth that we're trying to hide in. Even if you're a Pharisee here, maybe your tax booth looks a little sturdier, maybe has a fresher coat of paint on it than the tax collector who's sitting next to you, but your tax booth is no more effective at making you spiritually healthy than the one housing the tax collector. Friends, Jesus is inviting you to leave it all behind because he knows and you know and none of that, that none of these things that you're trusting in is delivering life and none of it is satisfying to you and none of it is bringing you joy. It's only bringing you death and sorrow after sorrow after sorrow. But in these past weeks, maybe even in these past couple days, you've seen something better haven't you? Something undeniable and beautiful and extraordinary. What you've seen is that the great physician has come. He speaks to the lame and they are healed. He speaks to the lepers and they are cleansed. He, he calls sinners and he calls the unrighteous and they repent of their sin and they're saved. Friends, when a truly good physician encounters sickness... He does not become sick, but the sick are healed. And when a truly good Savior encounters sin, he does not become a sinner. But sinners are restored. And this very morning, friends, every one of you, that could be you. You could have an entirely new life. Just like Levi just like Simon, just like the leper and the paralytic, and even if they will hear it, the Pharisee. Do you want that? Do you want to be rid of the guilt and the shame and all the unrighteousness? Apart from Jesus, we are all desperately sick. We're lying on the floor, popping Cheerios, sick, but you don't have to lift up your family and get them into the car because the great physician has come to you right here this morning. He's made a personal house call to welcome you in and he is saying to you, follow me. Will you? Will you? Let's pray. Lord, we know that our response to you demonstrates just how sick and how sinful we think we are. Your word tells us that those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. And Jesus, you did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. God, if there's anyone here right now who needs to repent, win them to yourself. Jesus, do incredible works of healing amongst us. We pray it in your name. Amen.